that second song that we sang. I just, I just love that song. Reminds me, you know, we're going to talk about Titus and, um, and Paul today and how Paul called him his son in the faith. And when we lived in Italy, we had the joy. You know, I've had the joy of having many daughters in the faith, and some are so precious to me. And that song was me and Miriam's song in Italy. She was, her and her husband had to flee Iran because of persecution, because she was a Christian. And we found them on the street and took them into our house. And, um, oh, it's just a joy. And that song just brings back a lot of great memories and how fitting it is for today as we think about, you know, all the, all the people that God puts in our lives to mentor, to come alongside, and to just be there for one another. And um, those people are forever in our hearts, in each of your hearts. And for you, you are that person in somebody else's heart, somebody that came alongside of you in your beginning walk with Jesus. And they help to build you up. They help to grow you in the faith. And you are that precious. And um, I'm sure they cry tears of joy for you at times, too. So, (laughs) anyway... Um, for me, this study is pretty exciting because um, I like how it goes with Sunday morning and we're learning the book of Acts on Sunday morning and how the Lord is starting to build his church, how he's taking some men and uh, women and he is just breathing fire down on them and watching them being powered and watching what they're going to do um, with the birth of the church in Acts and then here in the verses in Titus, in uh, Titus 1 through 9 today, we're going to be reading about how the church in Crete is going to be started, how the leadership is formed there. So um, let's pray, and then we'll get into our study. Lord, we thank you that you are God and that we are your precious children, Lord. And for each woman in this room, Lord, how you love them and how you long to see them grow into the women that you've called them to be. And it's not in our own strength that we become those people, Lord. It's through your power, through your spirit, through your word, through your enablement. And what else can we do with our lives but dedicate them completely, 100% to you, Lord, because in you we move, we breathe, we have our existence in you alone, Lord. And so this morning would you... Take the words on paper and put them, just modify them and put them in words that your spirit wants to speak to us so that we can learn from you, that we would grow, and that we would be changed by you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So open up your Bibles to Titus 1, verses 1 through 9. We'll go ahead and read them. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life with God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. So right right away in the get-go from verse 1, we see Paul, and we see how Paul is describing himself, which is very common in most of his letters. He starts out that he's an apostle of Christ, that he's a minister of Christ. Here he's saying that he's a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and he is an apostle of Jesus. His identity, Paul's identity wasn't wrapped up in in his accomplishments or what he has done or all of, you know, the great things in his life. He didn't boast about those things. What he wanted people to know is who he was in Christ. He was a bondservant. He was a person who laid down his life and gave all to Jesus. And it was by choice. Nobody made Paul give up his old life. It was a choice that Paul made. Once he met Jesus, what he said, who are you and what do you want me to do? And Paul lived the rest of his life according to those words. In Matthew twenty twenty six, in the B part, Jesus said, whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Greatness isn't about achieving all these medals and all this money and all these bank accounts and things like that. Greatness is who we are in Jesus, and that's what Paul understood. He was a willing servant. It was contentment for him to serve the Lord, and that's what God is looking for. He's looking for hearts, not just that we serve him, but that we do it with joy, that we do it with contentment. It's something that we want to do. It's like when we ask our children to do a chore— And they're like, fine. You know, after the 10th time that you tell them to do it, they don't want to do it willingly. They do it because they have to. And there are times in life we have to do things. You know, we may not have that joy. But the Lord desires that we would serve him with joy and with contentment. And Paul was an apostle, um, a messenger of the word of God. And each of us in our own way, we're messengers of the word of God. What we have learned, what God has taught us, he wants us not to just keep it for ourselves, but he wants to, us to share it with others. Paul's life was about knowing Jesus and preaching the gospel and teaching other believers about the truth of God's word and the hope that each person in this world has of having eternal life. That opportunity for every person out there, no matter their past, that eternal life is available for everybody. And that eternal life, that promise that we have from God, makes us believe in who he is. We can have that assurance because we serve a God, we study about a God who doesn't lie. It's not in God's character that he would ever say something. That would be untrue. He cannot. The Bible says he cannot lie. It's not even that he chooses not to lie, but it's not God's character to ever lie to us. All of God's promises, the Bible says, are yes and amen.
And Paul goes on to write to Titus, and he calls him that true son in common faith. And that was Paul's heart to be a mentor to these young people, to these young people being um, born again. Titus was... uh, probably saved in one of Paul's missionary journeys. And Paul's heart was to pray and seek the Lord and say, Lord, who is it that we can raise up? And Titus came alongside of Paul in many areas. Something that I love about our church here, it's like Pastor Rob, he loves to raise up leaders. We're not a stagnant church. It's not what happened last year or who was in leadership last year is necessarily going to be in leadership again. It's like constantly seeking the Lord. Lord, who do you want to raise up? Who do you want to use to serve you? And that's what Christianity is all about. That's what mentoring is all about. That's what's coming alongside of others in the faith is all about, to raise people up to serve the Lord. Because God is constantly moving in our midst. We never want to become stagnant. Titus was with Paul in Corinth. He was with him in Jerusalem, Macedonia, in Philippi. And as we see here, he was with him in Crete. Paul saw in Titus, I, yeah, Paul saw in Titus someone that he could trust. Trust is such an important thing when we want to raise up leaders. He could trust Titus. He could call him his co-worker. Having a co-worker, you know how we love to not just have to do the work by ourselves, but we love to have somebody come alongside and help us. He was a partner with Paul in the work of the ministry. 2 Corinthians 8.23 tells us about that. And because he was a helper of Paul in the ministry, because he saw the things that went on in Corinth, for an example, he didn't have these expectations about ministry and what real ministry was really about. Because a lot of us, if if we just look on the outside, we have all these like visions of sugar plums that go in our head, like how wonderful it is to serve the Lord. And how, isn't it great, like... To, to do this for God, and it is great, but it's also difficult. You know, the pastor or his wife or leaders, they don't turn their phones off at 5 o'clock when the, uh, the clock goes off at 5. There's always things going on. There's always hardship. There's always somebody that's in need, somebody who is ill, and they need to go to the hospital and check on them. But this is also why... God doesn't want to just use one person. He wants to bring along a team. He wants to raise up other people to help in the ministry. Titus was aware of the issues that Paul had to deal with in Corinth. He had to deal with leadership issues. He had to deal with insubordination. He had to deal with sexual immorality in the churches, misconduct. Paul witnessed Titus in action, and he knew. He knew that Titus had leadership abilities. When Jim was pastoring, my husband Jim was pastoring in Hungary, the first person that he ever baptized there when we moved was named Chicho. And right away, Jim said to me, you know, I know the Lord has a calling upon his life. And Chicho was just a brand new believer, just a few months old um, in the Lord. But Jim knew that the Lord had spoke to him and said, this is the guy to mentor Jim. This is the guy that I want you to come alongside and and invest in him. Chicho was a humble person, a joy to be around. He was eager to grow in his faith. And to this day, Jim considers Chicho to be um, a true son of his in the faith. And he was the one that took over and became the pastor of the church there when we moved to Italy. 
So Paul lets Titus know um, in verse, well, I didn't write the verse down, but Paul let Titus know the reason that he left him in Crete. And in verse 10, which we're not going to get into today, but it gives us an idea of what was happening in in the city of Crete, that there were many idle talkers, there were liars, there were people that were deceiving, and they just couldn't stay like that. God wanted to do a work in that area. People had gotten saved, but there was just disorder. Nobody was uh, taking the lead, and if people were taking the lead, they weren't necessarily the ones that God intended them to, to take the lead. So Paul was entrusting Titus to do that work, to sort it out and to select elders and lead the churches. And I read this and I think about Paul and because we have so many of his gospels, it's like his father heart. Paul has a heart of a father, a true father who cares, who's not just going to say, hey, Titus, stay in Crete and figure it out. No, he lovingly writes out a blueprint for Titus to follow and the type of person to use in leadership. In Psalm 127, 1, um, unless the Lord builds the house, it built, its builders labor in vain. God does not build his church like we build corporations, like we build businesses. God is building his church with strong men, with strong women who love him, who humble themselves to go before him and seek his will and not their own will. He wants to build a strong foundation, something that will not crack when it comes under pressure. There's no corporate ladders to climb in God's house. God's not building an empire. He's building his kingdom. And so we're not to say that... uh, we want to be in leadership, but we want to serve the Lord. And we volunteered to do something, like maybe start out in the children's ministry, which is a great thing. There's always need in the children's ministry. But we're not starting out there with the desire and the hope that one day we're going to take the pastor's place. That is not the heart that God is looking for. He's looking for willing hearts. He's looking for willing people. But he's looking for humble people. He's looking for people who would say, yes, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. We're not ones that need to like get a little rung each time on that ladder until we finally make it to the top. That is not what we're supposed to be doing. And I remember years ago, uh, before we even moved to Europe, and um, Denise had asked me to pray about being part of women's ministry. And she says to me, Uh, In her nice way, and Margie, I just want to let you know that this is not a promotion. (laughs) This is an opportunity for you to serve the women in the church all the more. And those words have stayed with me for, uh, obviously, all this time. Because I think it's good for us to be reminded of who we are. Because it's Christ. It's all about Christ in us. It's not about us. It's not making our name known. It's not about us achieving different accomplishments. It's about who we are in Christ and how are we desiring to serve the Lord. Throughout the Bible, we see people that God used, who he raised up and who he called into the ministry. And thankfully, he doesn't call perfect people because none of us will qualify. We all know ourselves. We all know our frailties. We all know um, the things about us that most of each other doesn't know about us. God sees it, though. But he doesn't call people 
that are perfect. He doesn't call people who look the part. You know, sometimes in life, they're always looking for the perfect uh, face, the perfect this, the perfect that. Oh, they have a great voice. You can tell. God didn't choose me because I had a great voice. It's, <laughs> it's definitely not one of the things that I have. Um, he just uses ordinary people who will trust in their extraordinary God to work in them and to work through them, to give them that godly character that he desires in those that he's going to raise up into leadership. Remember um, in the Old Testament when Samuel sent out on a mission to anoint the next king, Israel had King Saul who certainly looked the part, right? If you know the story, he was tall, charismatic. He was um, probably handsome and a distinguished military leader. But that didn't cut it. That wasn't enough because he also was prideful. He was arrogant. He was disobedient to the things that the Lord had told him to do. And one day the Lord basically had enough. He had enough of him, and he sent Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint the new king. And Samuel went. Samuel was obedient to the Lord, and so he went to the house of Jesse, and he looked at the sons of Jesse, and he was thinking, hmm, maybe it's this one. And probably, again, he got caught up in that, well, he looks strong, because to be a leader, you have to have muscles, and you have to be able to handle this and that. God's not looking for that. And so the Lord said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, do not consider his appearance or his height. It's nice for people who aren't tall. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And we learn from scripture, David was not a perfect man. David had flaws, but the Bible tells us that David was a, God, a man after God's own heart. That's who God is looking for. People, men and women who are after the heart of God, who want to be aligned with the heart of God. And likewise, Paul writes to Titus, Titus, I'm entrusting this task to you, entrusting you to put in order what is lacking in the churches in Crete, to raise up leaders in Crete. And as you pray and seek the Lord, Titus, these are the qualities that you need to look for, which is awesome that Paul lists some of the things that he that um, Titus is to look for in raising up elders in the church, because maybe Titus didn't know. Maybe he didn't know, and sometimes we don't know, and it's awesome when somebody comes alongside of us and says, hey, this is the person that you need to be praying about. So what are these things? A husband of one wife. If you're married, if the person, the man is married, then he's to be committed. He's to be faithful. He's to be devoted to his wife. And it's not saying that a person can, can only be married and be an elder, but if he is a single person, then he can't be like the cowboy Casanova who is dating a different woman every single week and just trying to show his, uh, show his, God, his manliness to different women. No, he either abstains from dating or he sincerely is devoted to the person that he is dating. Having faithful children... A man who is a faithful father, the one who brings up his children in accordance to what the word of God says, loving them, nurturing them, teaching them the word of God. And I'm going to quote from our pastor, Rob, and how he talks about this, because there is. Sometimes we read scripture, and we're not really 
sure exactly what it says. So if I have a rebellious child, does that mean that I'm disqualified from ministry? So rather than interpreting myself, I went to our, to our pastor. So um, we, will, we will go from there. The word children here is techna, and it refers to the children that, in our home, that are in our home. Obviously, we're not responsible if the children are outside of our home, if they've grown and they have their own free will and they're off doing what they're going to do, we can pray and we should be praying for them every day. But we're not responsible for our children's salvation as they leave the home or their walk with the Lord. The, the word children is plural, meaning we have to look at all of the children. If a man has four children and three of them love Jesus and are great children and well-behaved, but one of them is a prodigal, that one child does not disqualify the person from ministry. He is judged by the family as a whole. Now, on the other hand, if all of the children are rebellious and want nothing to do with the Lord, and again, we're talking about children that are in your home that are young, it doesn't matter if the person is an amazing Bible teacher. He cannot be a leader. He would be unqualified, according to these words in Timothy. And his wife also, the elder's wife, needs to be somebody who is a Christian, somebody who loves Jesus and the church. Paul puts it this way in 1 Timothy 3.4, that he must manage his own family well, having his children that respect him. And I remember growing up, my father, he was a strict father, and he used to always tell us, I don't care if you like what I have to say to you. I want you to respect what I have to say to you. And that's the same things I, I brought um, Marla up in. You know, you don't have to like what I said. She probably didn't like 99% of the things that I said when she was growing up. But I wanted her to respect me. I wanted to, her to respect her father and that we just don't come out arbitrarily with things that we say to them. We don't arbitrarily punish them for certain things. No, we're seeking the Lord in how to raise our children. Not quick-tempered, not losing your temper and lashing out at others. Who wants a leader when you come into the church and you come here to serve the Lord and just starts yelling at you for no reason? Or even if there is something, you go to counseling and you have a leader that just starts yelling at you. We don't want those kind of leaders. Somebody who abuses um, his role just to boss people around and be brutal to them. That's not, that's not the Lord. That's not how the Lord would speak to somebody. Not given to wine. I know you guys couldn't wait till I said that. Um, the Bible doesn't tell us. You know, there's not a place in the Bible that it tells us that drinking alcohol is a sin. But the Bible does tell us in many, many places in the Word that drunkenness is a sin. And even one sip of wine can lead to an addiction. It can lead to a habit. It can lead to something where I just want to go and relax so you don't relax without something to drink. You can't go to sleep so you end up having something to drink. People can accidentally um, find themselves abusing alcohol to escape issues in life rather than looking to the Lord. And so you become filled with the alcohol rather than filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. 
And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. And so I, I want to just say personally, pray. You know, if this is an area in your life where you struggle with, then go to the Lord. It's between you and him. And ask him, because he will tell you. If you seek him without um, prejudice, if you seek him without your own answer in mind, the Lord is going to speak to your heart and let you know about this area in your life. And again, the elder is supposed to be above reproach. So it's something we need to take very seriously in our lives. Not violent. You think about how easily drunkenness leads to violence even. People, it leads people to having loose lips, you know, to talk about their inhibitions are lowered. And so they're going to say things perhaps that they wouldn't ordinarily say. Sometimes people become violent. They get into fights and things like that. God is not looking for, for a person like that to serve him. Somebody that even just verbally picks fights. If you say this, then they're trying to contradict what you say. Not greedy for money. There are, sadly, some people that want to be in the ministry for financial gain. They think that it's um, something that's going to make them wealthy, something that's going to give them book deals and TV spots and um, pad their bank accounts. That's not what the Lord is looking for at all, at all. It should never be about greed. It should never be about gain for financial things. And then... Paul switches gears, and he talks about all the things before that you shouldn't have in your life. Now he's going to talk about the things that we should look for that are on the positive side, to be hospitable, to be a welcoming type of a person. I love, like, every Sunday and even um, Thursdays, there's somebody at the door. So sometimes you drive and you park in the parking lot and you just had a terrible time and you want to scream because of the traffic or people the way they're driving. And then you park and you're on your way to the door and then somebody's just like, hi, nice to see you. And it just changes your attitude. It makes you remember like, wow, I'm so glad I'm going into the house of the Lord today. You want those people. You want people that make you feel comfortable in their presence, somebody who is approachable. It's the opposite of somebody who is um, self-motivated and self-love. And then a lover of what is good. And um, I was telling the gals last night that the FBI could look at my laptop and see, like, tons of inquiries. Because I was, I don't know why I got obsessed with this phrase, lover of what is good. And I was trying to figure out, like, what does that really mean, a lover of what is good? Because... It just intrigued me. But finally, I just went back to the word because I couldn't really find a good definition. But the Lord, of course, always has a good definition. In Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man or O woman, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's the type of person that the Lord is looking for. And then Paul goes on to say to be just, to be holy, to be self-controlled to be an honorable person who is living his life out accordance to the Bible. Again, not a perfect person, but one who is yield to the voice of the Lord, to the word of the Lord. 
Someone who seeks to live his life yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit, that an outpouring of his life would exhibit in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what the Lord can work into each of us when we yield our hearts over to him. We yield our will over to him. In verse 9, holding fast the word of God, Paul exhorts Titus to hold fast to the word of God. Why? Because he has to be able to use the word of God, not only to teach, not only to grow people, but he needs to use it to exhort. He needs to use it to convict those who contradict the word of God. And we're always living. We always seem to say, no matter what year it is, especially this year. But I think as the the time of the Lord's return is all the more nearer each and every year, we need to take heed that you can't be afraid to use the word of God when somebody is coming to you and saying this or just twisting it. And it's just like back in the very beginning of the garden when Satan said to Eve, did God really say? And there's so much of that going on in our world today, even within Christian churches. There's so much of that. Well, I don't think he really meant it like that because now it's 2022. The word of God remains forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. And we need to remember that. And we need to have that courage. We need to have that strength from the Lord to use the word of God in the correct way. We need to not just comfort others with it, but we need to be willing to use it when people are trying to distort or to twist the word of God and just go and say, no, that's not what God's word says. We need to be brave soldiers. And then um, the, the elder is responsible for the sheep. And so they cannot be afraid to use the word of God to confront what is wrong or what is untrue or what is partially true. That's a tricky one there. A lot of times we fall for that partially true. The Lord wants us to know his word so that uh, we know our shepherd's voice and we know the wolf's voice and we know the difference. So we're not afraid to say the truth. And then I thought last night when I got home about Yvonne, and, you know, when I served in ministry before, and um, I was having a difficult issue with two people, and I said to her, oh, Yvonne, can you go and deal with that? And she looked at me, and <laughs> you remember that? And she's like, no, no. Um, you just can't have the fun times in leadership and not confront the not so fun issues. And so that's what it is. It's like sometimes, you know, we want the fun of serving God. We want the fun of being in leadership or the fun of this and that. But there's a responsibility that comes with it. And we dare not shy away from the responsibilities that God has given us to stand firm on what the word is telling us to do. So then we can just put up our hands and say, you know what, this is too hard of a list. This is a long list, and shake our head and say, who in the world has these qualifications? But it's important, again, that we remember that it's about hearts that are after Christ that don't make any provision for our flesh. When Jesus chose the twelve, he saw in them what others didn't see. He saw in them what they couldn't even see of themselves. He knew who they would become. Once they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, he knew that these 12 guys who once had bad tempers, right? Think about these disciples. They had bad tempers. They were outspoken. They were rough around the edges. They wanted to uh, have fire come down from heaven. So they had a little bit of violence in them too. But God knew that they could be transformed. He knew that they would take that old self And they would put on the new as they yielded their life to Christ. He knew that they would rise up and lead many to Christ and turn the world upside down. And so in closing, um, I just want to share something from my heart. Um, It's kind of, it's a little bit personal maybe. But I just felt compelled to share it that, um, you know, maybe people, maybe some of you in this room, the Lord is going to have a call on your husband's life to serve him in the ministry. And it may be part-time. It may be, there's all different ways to serve the Lord. But it could be that the Lord is going to um, call your husband to serve him. And I just encourage you not to discourage your husbands. Don't discourage your husbands. Don't give them a long list of why he can't do what God's calling him to do. Whether it's his personality, whether it's financial effects on your family, whether it's time that might be spent away from your family, things might change. Don't discourage your husband. Pray. Pray quietly sometimes and keep on praying until God changes your heart too. God called my husband to ministry. He had a, he had a company. And I gave my husband every reason. When he walked home on that Sunday from church after Pastor Rob talked with him, I was like, absolutely not. No way. We just bought a house. We just this, 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 and this. And how miserable. And so this is my husband. Well, I suppose I could disobey the Lord. I suppose I could, you know, he's very blunt with me. He's not, you know, (laughs) he's a good guy, but he doesn't hold back. Um, But that's what I need. He has to say it to me that way because otherwise I would go blah, 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 blah. So I just encourage you, ladies, allow the Lord to work in your life, but allow the Lord to work in your husband's lives. And don't be afraid of what God might be calling you to, your family to, your husband to. There's nothing better in life than to watch God at work. There's nothing better than to see God take our husbands, take our children, and transform them as they're yielding to God's will. And you're amazed. I sometimes sit back in awe at what God has done in my husband's life, and because of that, what he's done in my life. And I really, some days... uh, I think in my flesh, oh gosh, I would have changed a lot of things. But when I'm being honest, I would not change one iota of what God has done in our lives. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had my daughters in the faith, had I. And so, we close with the same words that Paul wrote to Titus in the very beginning of this chapter. He said, I... I, Pray that grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, would be abundant in our lives. Because that's how we get through the day. By God's grace, God's mercy, and God's peace. Because it comes from nowhere else but the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the time that we've had together in your word. And it's hard sometimes to to read these things, but we're just thankful 
that nothing that you ask us to do, we have to muster up the strength for. We know we can just lift up our hands to you, God, and say, take us, change us, make us who you created us to be, Lord. We want to be those vessels of honor. We want to be those women of faith. We want to be those women who come alongside of others and build them up in their faith. Lord, we want to be completely yielded to your spirit. Lord, give us the strength the grace, the mercy that we need in our lives to be those women that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.